I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take new and underproduced theatre scripts and short stories and turn them into contemporary radio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and part one of Grade 8, the one-man show by playwright and spoken word artist Dwayne Morgan. Here is the first episode of Grade 8. I don't even know why I keep going to the mailbox. There's never any good news. Bills, bills, bills. You never know what life is going to throw you away. You just have to keep your hands open and stay ready. We had started out pretty early. Fresh out of high school with our heads full of dreams, we were inseparable. High school sweethearts, we'd been through it all together. The acne, growth spurts, losing our virginity. I always felt something special whenever I was around her. We were like two peas in a pod who believed in taking things one day at a time. We cried when we found out that she was pregnant. We weren't even sure how it happened. I mean, we knew how it happened, but We'd use protection most of the time. You know, there's a fear that grips you, that is tighter than the embrace of two siblings reunited for the first time after being separated at birth when you find out that you're about to become someone's father. And there's nothing wrong with that, because we all fear the unknown, and this goes deeper than the hope that they will be born healthy with ten fingers and ten toes. This is the point where an angel and a devil take their place on your shoulders, and the fight-or-flight instinct takes over as we try to figure out our lives. This is when it all flashes before our eyes. It's a realization that I have reached the rite of passage that will allow me to transcend into a human being, because naturally, we navigate our way through this life selfishly, but pregnancy forces us to look at ourselves deeper than we ever have before. We have to dig to our core and discover things about ourselves that we never knew existed. We begin to hope that our weaknesses aren't genetic and that our child can be a better woman or man than we ever were. We begin feeling guilty that a child might have to suffer for the sins of our past, and if they do, will they be able to forgive us and still love us as their dad? At some point, we begin to look at how messed up this world is and wonder why we're bringing a child into it or why we didn't do more to change things before now. The prospect of children is an incentive to become a better man. It's one set of footprints in the sand, knowing that every step you take affects the child in the womb while we worry prematurely about whether or not they'll be the victims of verbal, physical, or child abuse, or if they'll be one of those children we see on the news, or if we will sit on pews burying our dreams with them. This is where boys become men or continue to live as boys. This is where a decision must be made, because so many of the ills that we see in our society today can be tied to fathers who refuse to be men, so much so that the only man in many of our homes has a vagina and breasts. The fear is natural. The unknown will always be. But I have to have faith that their life will be better if their life includes me. 
You know, contrary to popular belief, not every test that comes back positive is a bad thing. There really wasn't much of a discussion. We knew that we were going to do it, that we could do it. I mean, maybe we were being naive. I mean, we were two 19-year-old kids with nothing to our names but the love that we shared between us. We put on a brave front. But deep down inside, even though we never admit it, we were scared. I mean, this came with no warning, no passport or luggage. She was about to embark on a journey traveled by many before her. She intuitively knew what the doctors would later confirm, that she was carrying precious cargo. For nine months, she incubated the clay and watched God at work as she protected a divine investment as two holes split into two halves of two beings in the process of becoming one with its own dreams, purpose, and destiny. Now as a man, I just sit back and I'm in awe of her strength as I witness battles with morning sickness and the strains of back pain. She embraces her body's changes. She's earned her stripes. Her body was amused for stretch mark tattoos and though she wasn't amused, she viewed this as just another part of the process. And while vanity naturally creeps in, she chose to focus on the unborn child that one day would call her mom. She cherished the bond that was a secret between her and this new life. She was bright, delicate and strong like Swarovski crystals, full of joy, hope, and possibility. She embraced her womanhood and the mystery of life. Her womb was packed on the inside as she embarked on this journey. Just her and her precious You know, the hardest part of this whole thing was telling our parents. It felt as though we were breaking their hearts, dashing water on their dreams. It almost seemed as though they had more plans for us than we had for ourselves. But the more they told us that we couldn't do it, it's the more resilient we became. And you know what? We did it. In the process, we found out that there's really no manual for becoming a parent. In a matter of seconds, you're there. We all try to take the best from our parents while vowing to never repeat the things they did to torture us. It's funny, though, because no matter what we do, our children will grow up thinking there were things we did to torture them. Growing up, I was always told that when a man has demons in his past... God blesses him with a daughter. Not that daughters are a bad thing or a burden, but they give him a chance to right his wrongs. It's like a chance at redemption. Well, armed with that little tidbit of information, I began picking out boys' names and fantasizing about all the things I was going to have to teach him about becoming a man. Just imagine my shock when my son was born with a vagina. A vagina. A vagina. A vagina. A vagina. A vagina. She had been pushing for hours, and though the nurses said that progress was being made, I saw very little. We tried to relax and run jokes between the contractions that were coming faster and with greater intensity. Soon the mystery would be unveiled, with the wailing cries of a new life. They call this the beautiful trauma. Over my shoulder, family members stood, waiting patiently, betting against me, thinking that I would faint before the wait was over. But I was determined to prove them wrong. The chorus of grunts, screams, and heavy breaths were a painful song that I called the beautiful trauma. After hours, progress could finally be seen, as between her legs there was a little curl of hair that wasn't hers, and with each push that curl became ten as a head began to manifest, and I began to think that I was about to lose this bet because my legs were becoming weak. I was awestruck like a stroke victim, unable to speak, consumed by this beautiful trauma. The delivery room 
was like a track meet, with cheers and encouragement being shouted from all angles while I remained mute, watching intently as the head moved and became a face, and nurses moved in like predators on prey. Tears marched from my eyes over the stubbly terrain of my cheeks before starting a puddle by the crease of my lips I was numb and couldn't even get a good grip on the scissors that they put in my hand as they asked if I wanted to cut the cord. I wasn't sure, but I went ahead granting independence. At first sight, my train of thought was derailed, and I felt a love deeper than anything I'd ever felt before, a love that would forever change my entire world as we receive congratulations on this beautiful baby girl. Trust me when I say, that there is nothing like the miracle of life. I couldn't believe it. Here was this little person that we had created. But if I was scared before, just imagine how I was feeling now. She seemed so fragile. Part of me didn't even want to hold her. I wanted to just look at her. I mean, who would have known that someone so small would require so much work? And was she ever selfish? I mean, it was all about her. I'm hungry. Change me. I'm tired. Entertain me. From day one, she had us wrapped around her fat little fingers, pulling our strings whenever she desired, threatening to wail every time we took too long to meet one of her many demands. She was like a kidnapper holding us hostage. And was she ever growing fast? Her first smile became laughs, her laughs became teeth, her teeth turned to crawls, her crawls became steps, her steps turned to words, and well... You know how it goes. That little baby was growing into a beautiful little girl that looked more like her mom than she did me. But I was cool with that. I remember it as though it were yesterday. It was a Sunday evening when her mother called. I can't remember the last time I saw it rain like that. I don't even remember what her mother wanted. It was something trivial, though. I suggested that she not go. At least not until the rain had died down. But she said that it couldn't wait. It would be too inconvenient if she didn't make it. She really didn't want to go, but she always had a hard time saying no, so off she went. I was in a half-sleep when I heard the doorbell ring. I thought she had forgotten her keys in her rush to leave the house. She's been known to do that from time to time. When I opened the door... It was the police. And all I needed to see was the look on their faces to know that something has gone terribly wrong. And it might have been wrong of me, but my first thought was, oh God, my baby. My legs almost buckled. My mouth was pasty. And the only thing that saved me was the little voice that I heard crying in the distance. It's amazing how the cries that would torment me and pull at my heartstrings now brought me comfort and relief. There'd been an accident. I asked all of the questions that came to my head, but they wouldn't tell me anything until we were at the hospital. She didn't even make it to her mother's house. Looking at you was the hardest thing I've ever been asked to do. No one wants to see someone that they love looking like that. There she was, my angel, broken into so many pieces that no one could put her back together again while I stood there falling apart inside. How do you explain to a five-year-old girl that her mother's gone? I contemplated not bringing her to the funeral, but feared that she might hate me later on in life for not giving her the chance to say goodbye. She didn't understand you leaving to be with God and the angels. She felt that she needed you more, and I knew that she did. We both did. She asked her to wake up, 
and became inconsolable when her mom wouldn't listen. My heart broke as I realized that I was going to have to do this alone. I must have cried every day for months. My crying I could handle. Hers was unbearable. It was nonstop. Every day she would wake up searching then screaming for her mom. I felt guilty, having nothing to tell her that would make her mother reappear. Everything she knew and understood about the world had been turned completely upside down. My frustration turned to anger. Imagine the futility of being angry at the dead. And this is all that I have left. A box of memories and a daughter that means more to me than life itself. It's hard to believe that it's been seven years already. I don't know what the future holds for me or for us as a family. But I promised myself that no matter what, I'd never let her forget who you were. I remember all of your hopes and dreams and I refuse to let them die with you. I made a commitment to myself that I'd smother her with enough love for the both of us. This society throws love around so much that it's totally lost its meaning. I mean, think about it. How often do we tell the people around us that we love them, appreciate them, are proud of them? None of us know when we'll be robbed of our opportunity, leaving us professing our feelings through a casket. Some argue that fear is the opposite of love. But I disagree, because my fears stem from my love. It's like not wanting to see her fall and hurt herself as she learns to walk. There's always a fear, but it's a fear based in love. I remember her insisting that I take the training wheels off of her bike. And I came up with every excuse for the longest time because I didn't think that she was ready. She probably was, but I wanted to keep her safe as long as I could. Eventually, I ran out of excuses and had no choice. The toolbox came out and the training wheels came off. I held the bike steady for her until she had said that she was ready. I ran behind her with my hand still on the seat until she asked me to let go. My heart was racing and I held my breath. I had tears of pride in my eyes as she rode down the sidewalk for the first time on two wheels. I remember cutting the cord and granting independence. It felt as though those scissors were in my hands and once again, I set her free. I try to tell her how loved she is, but she thinks that I'm only just saying that because I'm her dad. Truth is, I never knew my mother. From what I've been told, she had big plans. She packed me up, handed me off to my dad, and left with another man. I've never seen or heard from her since. I've spent my entire life wishing that I could be famous so that she'd see me on TV and wish that she had stayed. When I was 20, prostate cancer took my dad. He was one of those manly men who didn't believe in doctors and felt that he could diagnose anything that was wrong with him. Everyone that I've ever loved has died. So I smother her with love because she's all that I have left. I just want her to feel secure about herself. Because I know that there are guys out there who prey on girls with low self-esteem. They seek out those women who wear their hurt and their pain just under the surface of their skin. I don't know if my dad ever got over what happened with my mom. I could tell that he was bitter. When the conversation would turn to girls, he would always say to me, Son, don't grow up to be like me. Thinking that you have to give all of yourself and spend a lot of money to win a woman's affection. You can get any woman that you want for free. Now, usually at that point, he'd have my undivided attention because I didn't have a job and free was exactly what I could afford. He'd continue. 
You've got to recognize, son, that men, we fall in love through our eyes and women through their ears. You don't need money. You just need to know their insecurities. And if they grew up without a dad, they usually have a lot of those. If you want a woman to fall in love with you, you've just got to convince her that in your eyes, she's the most beautiful woman you've ever seen and that there's nothing or no one more important than she is. Just remember to be sincere. They can see through the words, but if you come off with sincerity, you can get anything that you want. I never had the opportunity to test this out, so I can't really say if it works or not. But what I do know is that as men, we don't always realize that every stripper and prostitute is someone's daughter. I can imagine their parents having dreams similar to the aspirations that I have. But you come to realize that children just come through us and will eventually make their own decisions no matter what we want for them. The best thing that we can do is try to surround them with love, guidance, and the tools to make decisions that they hopefully won't regret. The hardest part sometimes is just standing back and allowing room for those decisions to be made without jumping in, trying to fix mistakes before they happen. Driving by so many beautiful young girls working on street corners, I always ask myself, what do I have to do to keep my daughter from becoming one of them? You know, love and how we love is a very interesting thing. When children are born, we smother them. We do all of the baby talk and whatever else we can think of to keep them happy. As they get older, the love either seems to change or disappear. There's no more smothering. Discipline and rules seem to take over. And the older we get, it's the further we seem to be from the love we first received as children. I can look back at my own life and remember times when I questioned if anyone loved or cared about me, which would inspire me to do things just to get attention. I needed to know that I mattered. It's almost like those women who don't feel loved unless their partner is physically abusive. They need to feel something. I wonder where the love goes. When I was in high school, Tanisha was the prettiest girl in my grade. She was stunning. Beautiful like fresh $100 bills. But her beauty was only skin deep. Beyond the surface was a girl in pain, suffering silently. Every guy wanted to be with her and a number of them got the chance. She always preferred the older guys. There was a void in her life that she tried desperately to fill with their presence. On the outside, she had everything, and all of the other girls wanted to be just like her. But inside, she was decaying like a body invaded by cancer. We had voted Tanisha most likely to succeed. Behind closed doors, she would suck from the seeds up the shaft of any man with cash in his grasp. Imagine the head of the class giving head after class in the backseat of borrowed cars. She thought that love was the attention a woman receives from a man, and she felt that she never received that from her dad because he was distant. She hated living in the same house, but feeling as though he wasn't there, so she searched for love elsewhere. She said that she was looking for excitement. She knew that she wanted to excite men when to excite meant that she would have men flowing like seamen or seamen. She was quick to believe when men spoke to her of love. Their hugs were the key to them getting a piece. Her self-esteem would artificially increase as each man would release, leaving her with pieces of him. And as those pieces start to swim, she would sink into a depressed state, knowing that no matter how she tries, she can never equate the countless men that had left pieces with the pieces that she felt were missing. She hates herself for what she does, 
but she can't make herself stop. She fears that no man will ever love her, so she's quick to give it up. Tanisha is my inspiration. Back in the day when I was young and naive, I was one of those guys who wanted to get with her. I never got the chance, and I didn't understand her actions being a cover for her pain. But I get it now, and I have a daughter now, so it resonates that much louder than it ever did before. What is to be, will be. But if I can avoid her feeling the void that Tanisha felt, I'll do whatever it takes. Growing up, I had all the confidence in the world. Over the past seven years, I've become increasingly insecure. I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job with her. How do I know that something that I'm doing now won't end up haunting her in the future? They say that women nurture by nature, and that men, well, we just hunt and try to fix things. This might be true, but I've been forced to find the nurture in me. All that stuff you hear growing up as a boy about what a man is has gone completely out the window. There was a regime change when her mom passed, with a new commander-in-chief, armed with dolls, tea sets, and an imaginary friend named Sandy. Tea time was when we got caught up on all the amazing happenings in her life. Through it all, I must say that Sandy was an amazing imaginary friend, very well behaved with great manners. She never interrupted, and she spoke when it was her turn. It did take me a while to get used to having her around. After all, I couldn't hear anything that she had to say, but I soon learned how important her presence and her thoughts were. Her mother could tear up a dance floor, and it looked like those genes were passed on because she kept on pestering me to sign her up for dance classes. I cried a river at her first recital. I surveyed the room trying to find another man in the same situation to validate my response. But there were none. They were all there with their wives or girlfriends, being the typical man devoid of emotion but beaming with pride on the inside, I'm sure. Thank goodness for Kleenex. I was catching tears as soon as they would come. She was the cutest little thing on that stage. And I don't say that because she's mine. All right, well, I do say it because she's mine, but it was also true. She wasn't even the star of the show, but there was no one shining brighter than she was. It wasn't just seeing her on stage, though. After every dance class, she would come home and show off her new moves. She was so proud to have something to show me, and I was proud to see her learning. Seeing all of those disjointed moves come together on stage was absolutely beautiful. She saw something through from beginning to end, and for me, that was a major accomplishment when life seems to offer so many distractions. She's 12 now, and not a day goes by when I don't think about her mom. She's at that stage where hormones are overriding logic and rational thought. As the presence of boys in her life has increased, her marks at school have decreased. I let her know that boys will always be there. And none of them are going to want to be with a girl who couldn't even pass grade 7. It's her report card. I'm too nervous to open it. At the last parent-teacher meeting, things weren't looking too hot. We had a big blow-up when I introduced some new rules. But I needed her to buckle down and understand just how important her education is. I think I take her success personally. And if she fails, I feel as though I failed. Failed her failed you. There have been some rough times, but somehow we've managed to make it through. I guess there's something to be said about the connection between a dad and his daughter 
But you know what? I'm still scared. It could be a socialization thing. But as guys, we kind of grow up accepting ourselves. I mean, it isn't until around high school that you start wondering if your dick is a normal size. After that, you just try to keep your stomach in check and hope that you don't go bald. It seems different for girls, though. I remember my little sister singing up a storm and me sneaking up the stairs to spy on her. When I'd get there, she'd be in full concert mode with her long, wavy white hair and a brush for a microphone. Islands in the stream, that is what we are. No one in between, how could we be wrong? Come away with me to another world and we'll rely on each other. Uh-huh. From one lover to another. Uh-huh. There she was, the black Dolly Parton. So proud of her long flowing locks, so hateful of her strongly twisted curls. I remember cousins coming to visit, and the smell of ambi skin lightener in the washroom. I remember girls in high school, huddled around magazines, reading up on what every woman needs to have in order to be attractive to a man. I want to grow her up, letting her know that she's perfect as she is, because there are far too many young black girls who sit in front of the mirror staring at the beast that they see staring back at them. But if only they knew their beauty. Disgusted by their kinks, they bend over the sink trying to straighten things out. With the ease with which the comb now slides through their hair, they let out half-smiles as they gel and style their self-esteem into shape. But if only they knew their beauty. They look at their skin with disgust. Not seeing how tenderly they've been kissed by the sun, not recognizing that them and God are one, their face would become the canvas as their dark foundation is covered by foundation, two shades too light, skin. Blacker in the beginning, which glistened like a lacquer finish, now lacks its shine. They lay it on thick. The same way that their eyes lay it on thick, telling them that they now look good, but if only they knew their beauty. Ready for the finishing touch, they clutch lipstick between index and thumb and let it run laps of rouge around their lips. They want them thin and hate them for their thickness. But if only they knew their beauty. Dressed and ready for outside, the clouds cry, but they refuse to let the clouds steal their light as they dodge God's tears. It's a shame how something as natural as the rain can become like kryptonite to a black woman. But if only they knew their beauty. If only they knew how much midnight envies their darkness, how many women envy the thickness of their lips, how many men fantasize about a kiss, how many times I've simply wished that they only knew their beauty. You know, I'm convinced that having a boy would have been a lot easier, but nothing in life worth having comes easily. I can't even express how happy I am that God has blessed me with her. She's taught me a lot. Forced me to reassess my past and the way that I look at the world. I'd forsake everything that I have to protect her from becoming one of those women scarred by her past. I look forward to seeing her every morning and can't understand those men who choose to not be in the lives of their kids. My sister also has a daughter, a beautiful little girl named Nicole who's only six and growing up without her father. I paid them a visit a couple weeks back and there she was in her Sunday's best waiting on her dad with her Dora the Explorer knapsack pack from two days in advance. 
This was both the most beautiful and the saddest thing I had ever seen, as she sat there in a world all her own, rushing to the door every time she thought she heard a car horn, only to return dejected. I admired her faith, and while she held out hope, her mom's heart broke, but there was nothing that she could do. Nicole refused to be moved. She would force herself off of the steps to use the washroom, but she didn't want to watch TV or have anything to eat. She didn't want to risk not hearing the sound of his car horn beep, and I wonder if he knows the legacy of his actions. As the sun set like her spirit, with her falling asleep on that step, with Dora being the pillow upon which she lay her head, and I can't even describe the hurt and the pain that I saw in her eyes, but what I knew is that I refused to be that guy. That was episode one of Grade 8 by playwright and spoken word artist Dwayne Morgan. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion. This episode was edited by Corey Barnes. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our podcast, to leave a comment, or to let us know what you think of our shows. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Rashanik Jaberi. Play Me is funded by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Spiderweb Show. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.